Welcome to Dragon Talk. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by my co-host, Shelley Mazanoble. Hello! And today, we have a very fun uh, interview segment. We're going to be talking to James Wyatt. Always Hi. a pleasure. Hi, James. Thanks. Uh, and uh, but he has to bear with us if we do some some crazy fun announcements. Yep. Uh, and Maybe we'll... he'll be excited about these crazy fun announcements. He should. Oh, oh, no. oh wait, he we was lost acting him already. He was totally just falling asleep. Uh, so we're going to talk about those. <laughs> we'll get to a segment and then we'll dive right into uh, speaking with James about his history with Dungeons and Dragons uh, on the Dungeons and Dragons team as be- well as before. Yeah. You know, I've played Dungeons and Dragons since there were segments. There... <laughs> That's an old school joke. <laughs> yes. Uh, which we will explain for all of you guys who don't get it <laughs> on the interview. See, we're tying them into they have to listen to all this stuff before we get to it. So, what are some things that are happening in Dungeons and Dragons news, Shelley? You ask. Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I thought he was going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, D&D Beyond is coming out August 15th. It is a character builder and basically D&D compendium. You can find out online. It's at DND beyond.com, uh, also at D&D Beyond uh, on Twitter. Um, it is coming out, and it is amazing. It's a great tool to build your character. It harkens back to some of the fun stuff with uh, DDI, uh, for those of you guys you might remember from 4th edition era. Huh? Huh? Oh, yeah. huh? Calling back. And then, uh, uh, <laughs> but then it's got, it's got all 5th edition stuff as well as all the adventures and other content in there, um, and I'm really excited about it. So far, it's been a, a wonderful tool, and Adam Bradford and the team at Curse are going to be continuing to adding more and more features to it. Uh, and uh, I, I just can't wait for it. It's going to be... You don't have to wait that much longer. I don't. It's coming out. Coming out very soon. Three weeks. Uh, also, uh, Tomb of Annihilation is coming to Neverwinter, the action MMO from Cryptic Entertainment. July 25th. It's probably going to be already wait. out by the time you're listening to this. Tomorrow. It is already out on PC right now. You can travel to the jungles of Chult and explore all the fun stuff that goes on there to try to take out the dinosaurs uh, who may be marauding your party. <laughs> Chris Perkins is appearing as a voice. Uh, I believe he will be the voice of Volothamp Gadarn. Wow. Uh, but wow. you should go check out Neverwinter. It's, it's a, uh, as I said, it's an action MMO. It traces through all of the Dungeons & Dragons stories that have been released for 5th edition so far. So Tyranny has got a story. Uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, you deal with the elemental cults. Storm King's Thunder, you went up to the frozen north and hung out with the frost giants, and then we're like, hey, what's up? Let's hang out. And now, Tomb of Annihilation, it goes uh, to Chult. Uh, and uh, it's also really good to delve into the earlier levels because you get a lot of the information about what's happening in the city of Neverwinter itself. So, highly recommended. It's fun. Go do it. Uh, again, July 25th is when the new stuff is out. So, hey, if it's out already, go check it out. Uh, also, Hascon is coming up in September 8th through 10th. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. It is going to be a hub of all of Hasbro's brands, including My Little Pony, Transformers, as well as their licensed stuff like Disney and Marvel. Uh, we'll all be there, including us, Magic the Gathering. I'll be there. Giants Wyatt will, will be, be there. there yep. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. That's amazing. I'm going to be there. Trevor Kidd is going to be there. Mike Merles and oh Chris God. Lindsay are going to be there with some D&D stuff. Uh, and it's great to go there and bring your family. And uh, maybe they are want to uh, play with the Littlest Pet Shop, for example. But then you can be like, oh, by the way, there's magic. And you should learn how to play magic. <laughs> or there's uh, Dungeons and Dragons that you can play with as a family. We're going to have lots of events that are tuned for... Uh, encounters that are all about kids 10 and younger as well as ones that are 10 or older. So if you have older kids, you might want to go with the 10 and older ones, but if you have younger kids, you want to get into it without dealing too much with you know math or, or, or uh, uh, heavy-handed stuff, uh, those ses- sessions will be perfect for, for you guys there. So again, that's September 8th through the 10th. 
It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be there. You should go too. If you're interested in finding out about tickets, it's at uh, hascon.hasbro.com. Click on the tickets tab and scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see all the Dungeons and Dragons events that are there. All right? Do it now. And if you're there, wish me a happy birthday because it's, it's the your birthday. It really? Yeah, the day before. Oh, my God. Well, I am going to be there, and I will be saying, happy birthday. Right. Nice. Uh, that'll be uh, the second con experience that I've been at with James Wyatt. <laughs> That's right. Which is pretty fantastic. Uh, speaking of James Wyatt, uh, Plane Shift Amonkhet is out now. We will get into exactly what that is and what that means very soon. But basically the easiest way is to go just search for Plane Shift Amonkhet. Good SEO on that. No one else will, uh, <laughs> will, will know what that is. Uh, but it's on the D, uh, D&D site as well as on the Magic site and it's a PDF of... Well, why am I telling you this now? We're going to talk about that in the interview segment. Alright, so I'm going to throw it right to uh, our lore. What do you think? Lore you should know? Yes. Yeah, make with the bing bongs and then we'll come right back with more James White. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I'm Greg Tito, and today I'm joined by just one lore master, Mr. Chris Perkins. Hi there. How's it going? Really good. Good. Uh, in preparation for uh, Tomb of Annihilation coming out on mm. September 19th mm. everywhere, uh, today's Lore You Should Know, in which we delve into fun little bits of D&D lore for your games, is uh, specifically about uh, the setting of Tomb of Annihilation. What goes on oh, in good. the dangers of Chult, the diseases. Uh, so not so much the monsters, uh, but what natural things are happening in Chult that uh, uh, are unique to that area. Mm, okay. Uh, so, so that's going to be our first conversation. That's, that's going to be our first conversations for this day. So All right. So natural dangers of Chult. And we can go also just in like what, what how, I mean, we've been a few months since we talked about Chult as an as a area too. Right. So let's go into yes. that a little bit. So basically Chult is a very large peninsula um, south of the Sword Coast. And it is mostly untamed, uncharted wilderness. Uh, it went through some upheaval during a period known as the Spell Plague and was actually detached from the mainland for a time by changing water levels and sinking lands mm. and disappearing lands. Uh, with the end of the Spell Plague and the end of the Sundering, m- most of those lands have either risen or returned, and so Chult is technically no longer an island. Uh, but it is no less dangerous and no less uncharted. And pretty much people kind of know what's along the coasts, and then once you get about a mile or two in, it's completely unknown territory with all kinds of horrible, horrible things lurking there. Um, some of which you can't see because they're really, really tiny, almost microscopic, almost disease-like entities. Uh, uh, not to be glib, but there are a few diseases that and, and f- weird phenomenon that are called out in the Tomb of Annihilation product that characters will encounter as they make their journeys through Chult. Um, are they natural diseases or, or, or magical a combination of A combination of the two. Oh, For okay. instance, uh, the spell plague created this... Um, mist, this sort of bluish mist that drifts through the jungle called Mad... It's called Mad Monkey Mist. Mm. And the reason it's called that is because when it comes into contact with humanoids, um, it it causes insanity and makes them do batty things. Uh, And so if you don't want to come down with Mad Monkey Fever, you best avoid these drifting clouds of mist. What color is the mist? Is it... It's a bluish tone. Mm. Um, and it does look unnatural, and it, it does radiate as magical, so you can dispel it using dispel magic spells. Oh, well, that's a good tip. Uh, so if one is coming up to you, your camp at night, you know, boop, 
gone. When you're looking for guides uh, in Port Nianzara, make sure you the have... The smart guides know about it and will warn you about it. The ones who are clueless will just lead you right through it. And next thing you know, you'll be dancing, dancing and capering around like an idiot. Now, is it, is it uh, uh, the madness that, it, that results from this mad monkey fever? Is it violent in nature or is it, as you describe, a little bit more cartoony? Um, it's a little bit more sort of incapacitating than it is uh, turning you violent. Um, to know, like, well, here's Johnny type things could, happening. It could lead uh, – it doesn't make you psychotic, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Um, but it could lead you to harm if you sort of blindly go off, like, over a cliff or something. Okay. So it, it sort of impairs your judgment. Is it like a like you enter, like, a catatonic state? Are you, like, aware of what's happening? Um, eh, you're, you're aware but can't help yourself. Oh, okay. So, like, like a nitrous oxide type thing where, right. like, you're – why am I laughing so much? It, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a weird drunken reaction almost. All right. Are there people in <laughs> Port Nianzaru who go and find the mist for no, pleasurable no. In fact, inebriation? Most, most people in Port Nianzaru haven't even seen the mist because they've never gone out into the jungles and found it. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, that's – and it doesn't come as far out as Port Nianzaru, so it's never actually drifted into the city or anything like that, although it would be funny if it did. I know. Yeah, I read exactly. Now I'm like, yeah. I want to get the entrepreneur character out and like, hey, let's, let's bottle up the mist and we can sell it uh, across the Sword Coast. Exactly. I, uh, I'm not sure if it would preserve. But anyway, yeah. um, the, another danger that you face there actually comes out of the, wa- the groundwater and that is throat leeches. Ooh. And that traces back to the first edition Fiend Folio. There was a monster in the Fiend Folio called a throat leech that looked like a twig that you could accidentally swallow and it would get in your system and do harm to you. Ah, uh, we've sort of co-opted the name and adapted it. It still lives in sort of groundwater and stuff like that, uh, but it's now not obviously a big thing. It's a tiny little itty-bitty, almost microscopic thing. Yeah. And when it gets into you, uh, it can it can do some serious, serious damage and even kill you if you're not careful because uh, it, it sort of has the same um, – uses the same mechanics similar to the exhaustion rules. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it, it almost like it introduces a parasite. It does. It introduces a parasite into your body and then you have to basically resist and or fight it off or get magical healing like a cure disease spell to whisk it away. Um, otherwise, it could kill you. Um, and it's debilitating. It gets worse and worse over time. I mean, it, the visual of a leech on your throat is quite horrible. Yes. Is it really that? Yeah, is it, it like it, a leech yeah, that it, just it, it sucks actually, yeah, air exactly, away? Exactly. Yes. Precisely. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really, really horrendous. So it was nice to kind of delve back, find something that nobody thought anybody would ever use again and sort of repurpose it for this. Yeah. And, and is it in, in the Fiend Folio, was it described as like a, like a jungle type monster or? Was uh, it was just described as living in rivers and things okay. um, as these ones do. Now, the, the uh, Chultons are aware of throat leeches mm-hmm. and the way they contend with it is that they drink rainwater. Uh, they have rain catchers that catch the water from the sky before right. it hits the ground where the leeches can get into it and then they drink out of those rain catchers or they drink out of barrels or whatever. Does boiling water Boiling help? water will also kill the throat leeches. Okay. Yeah. As so, will a purify f- food and drink spell. If you cast important. that on a water supply, any throat leeches will be Gone. killed off. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. All right. So boil your water when you're camping, folks. Yes. Especially in Chult. Yes. Uh, any kind of, now I'm thinking of uh, uh, the Amazonian uh, fish that is known to enter other parts of the body. Anything like that happening in uh, Chult? No, there are no fish that swim up your butt. Okay, good. Because, <laughs> I mean, the throat was bad enough. Well, there might be. I mean, a DM could throw one in, but I don't really see the, you know, the point. Um, <laughs> nobody gets... wants to die from a fish up the butt. No, no, exactly. And that's not very heroic yeah. for a, a, a no. story like this. No, 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 no. no. Uh, what are some other dangers? Uh, uh, some other dangers in the jungle are some of the local flora. Um, uh, there are things that you can avoid. There's everything from man traps, 
essentially giant Venus flytraps that feed on humanoids. Uh, and that's a monster in Tomb of Annihilation that you can fight, mm-hmm. um, albeit a fairly easy one to catch since it doesn't move very quickly. Uh, and then there are things like um, uh, fruit that can you can have that could be poisonous to you. There's helpful stuff as well. Uh, cinder berries, for instance, are actually healthy berries that you can eat that will rejuvenate you if you can find them. But there's some bad stuff. Um, Is it like a good berry type thing? Yeah, a very similar, yeah. yes. Uh, so there's there's some flora and some uh, sort of minor fauna that you can encounter that are sort of unique to Chelt. Um, nothing overly powerful or nothing that high-level characters would be particularly troubled by. Right, but it's a long, you know, uh, yeah. journey through Chult. Yeah. And if you're already just injured reminder, from you know, something... Watch what you eat, watch where you step. It's the usual stuff that you have to pay attention to when you're out in the jungle. Yeah. What about things like uh, quicksand or something like that? Um, those things are... Uh, quicksand is... Uh, rules for that are presented in the uh, dun- Dungeon Master's Guide, and you can certainly run across quicksand in the jungle. Yeah. Um, uh, there are... In Tomb of Annihilation, there's an appendix of, of, of random encounters, both in, in Port Nyanzaru and out in the wilderness. And many of those random encounters are things like environmental hazards. Okay. Um, and uh, what about uh, uh, falling into like any tombs or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, ancient areas? As happens, you know, you just yeah. fall into a tomb. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, possible. Um, the only tomb that we discuss in Tomb of Violation is the big one, the, the tomb tomb. Right. Uh, we don't introduce any tombs that you just accidentally fall into. Uh, but you might stumble upon remnants of uh, old Chultan uh, shrines dedicated to the god Uptau uh, and see statues of him that actually have magic inside of them. Uh, there's one statue, and this is giving a little bit away to players, but eh, if they find it, it'll be fun. Uh, there's a statue of Uptau that has his symbol carved into his belly, and it's a bit, it's a circle like a maze, like a okay. circle maze, kind yeah. of like the circle mazes you'd get on uh, table mats at McDonald's or something like that. And if you trace your finger around the maze, the statue will reward you for finding your way out by giving you a sort of blessing. Okay. Sort of a supernatural ability for a short time. Right. I think uh, uh, in Girls Got Glory, they recently encountered mm-hmm. uh, uh, this statue. Yes, but uh, not all statues carry such boons. Some of them are quite dangerous. They have magical wards to protect them that are still in effect to this day. Got it. Um, Glyph of warding kind of stuff, you know. Right. Blow up in your face. Right. Uh, not too bad, but just enough to eh, make it yeah. really bad. Possibly enough to kill your guide, which would be a problem. <laughs> We're on our own now. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially if you also if you travel by uh, boat through all the rivers and waterways. Rivers uh, and waterways? Rivers and waterways. <laughs> <laughs> We're hunting wabbits. Well, as you're hunting yes. wabbits. Um, uh, waterfalls, so, I guess, when rapids would also be... Waterfalls are a big problem in Chult. Uh, you could find yourself going over one quite easily. All of the, all of the rivers in Chult, the Tariki, the Soshan Star... Um, the, the, the Tath, the, they all have big plummetous uh, waterfalls uh, that you can go over or that prevent you from continuing on. So you have to sort of... Um, uh, Truck up a, yes, a cliff face exactly. in order to make yes. it. Yeah. Uh, other dangers of the waters there tend to be of a monstrous nature. Uh, there are creatures native to Chult called the Aldani. Aldani, and I've never heard of the Aldani. Don't laugh, but they're lobster folk. So the thing about them is uh, they're, they're native to Chult, and I think they only live in Chult, and they've never appeared in any other product having to do with anything other than Chult. Um, they used to be Chultans. 
Um, but Uptau cursed them because they, they overfished their rivers uh-huh. and transformed them into their current forms. And basically, they became outcasts and feared among the other tribes because of their horrid appearance. And they withdrew to the very rivers that they plundered and were forced to kind of live there uh, in their riverbeds. And they were mad that they had overfished, so there was not as much fish. Uh, actually, they understood perfectly why Uptau cursed them, and they were they they sort of understood it and just sort of accepted it. Interesting. It was a weird case where they weren't bitter about being punished for something they knew was wrong. They realized what they did was wrong. Uptau called them on it, and they were transformed, and they went, "Oh, I guess we're lobster folk now." But nobody <laughs> seems to like us or trust us, so I guess we'll go live in the water now. Um, That's an odd. Yeah. It, uh, you know. It, all right. Yeah, we yeah, take this punishment. It's kind of it's an cool. enlightened yeah. thing. Uh, it was an enlightened uh, decision on their part to embrace the punishment. Uh, and the thing is with the lobster folk, despite the fact that they're scary as hell, um, I was going to say scary as f***, but that, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't really say stuff like that. It's all right. It's twitched. Um, it's not. It's, yeah, it's, it's the, okay. uh, despite the fact that they're really scary looking, they're not evil. They're actually sort of more of a neutral bent. And they've got a, so- a very strong self-preservation instinct. So if you threaten them, they'll try to bribe you so that they, you don't hurt them anymore. Oh, so like adventurers. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, adventurers never give up their money. Yeah, well, I guess that's probably unless true. Unless they want something in return. Yeah, I guess value, that's but, true. Uh, yeah, so the Aldani, you can actually deal with the Aldani on some level. Uh, mm. Nice. That's, I, I didn't, are they are throughout or are they just in one specific region? Uh, you can find them in rivers. Uh, you can also find them in, in lakes and things. Uh, where they are best known together is in a place called, fittingly enough, the Aldani Basin, oh, right. which sense. is a... Uh, a large, swampy, uh, lake-filled area, sort of sunken with jungle all around it and big, tall plateaus all around it. Yeah. Uh, they've largely congregated there. And they have a problem there with some uh, roving undead. So if you can help them with that problem, maybe they'll throw you a bone and give you something that, you know, they've been lying at the bottom of a river for 300 years. Can they, can they build? Mm. Do they have, like, a shelters? They just, they, yeah... I'm, yeah, not so much. They just... Uh, they have no shelters. They just literally live in the water. And they just fish and eat, but they're they eat intelligent like, beings? They sort of eat like lobsters do. Yeah. Yeah, they eat crap that floats down the water, I guess. That's kind <laughs> I don't of, know what lobsters eat. <laughs> hamburgers? <I don't> know. <laughs> they're always cooking up hamburgers, yeah. at least in SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. I feel like they're always doing... <laughs> so it, they, they're, they're certainly one of the weirder natural uh, uh, inhabitants of the jungle. Awesome. Cool. Um, any other uh, uh, things to look out for as you're traversing through the jungles of Chult? Um, sometimes it pays to look up because mm. uh, as a result of the spell plague, there are pieces of earth, pieces of the land that never settled back down and are basically hanging in the air over the jungle canopy. Uh, we, in Forgotten Realms terms and in D&D, call these things earth motes. And an earth moat is basically just a chunk of land in the sky. That can fall on you. Uh, and generally it's suspended there by magic and is in no danger of falling anytime soon, but it could. Its magic will eventually run out and it will fall, and if you're underneath, you won't survive. But there's also stuff that lives up there sometimes, and you have to watch out for that. Um, right, as we mentioned on our dinosaur folk uh, uh, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the most, the most famous there. earth moat hanging over Chult is called the Heart of Uptau, because it has a vaguely heart-like shape to it, and there's sort of like this big, giant, petrified tree on top and some roots coming out the bottom that kind of look like arteries and ventricles. Oh, I see. And, uh, and uh, 
because of the mineral deposits on the rock, uh, as water sort of pours down its surface and runs off the end, it takes on a reddish hue. Uh, so it earned that name because the Chaltons believe it is actually the heart of their god held out in the sky. Yeah. Um, uh, like Ubtal lost his heart when he, when the Chalton people disappointed him, he left, and there it is. Uh, so it's a holy place, and if you go there, that's fine, but if the Chaltons find out about it, they will consider it a sacrilege. Okay, so another... So don't, don't go back to Port Nyanzaru bragging about how you looted the heart yeah, of Yeah, we were standing all over it, and we're stomping on exactly. the heart. Exactly, yeah, yeah, they'll be stomping all over you. Exactly. All right, well, that's good to know, uh, uh, especially with the, uh, the uh, culture of, of what's going on there. Yeah. You, you want to make sure you don't offend the very people that you're there to, yes. to, to be used as guys. There is something very dangerous living there now, but I won't tell you what it is. Ooh, you're going to have to find out mm-hmm. uh, when Tomb of Annihilation comes out yeah. on September 19th. All right, sweet. Uh, uh, Schultz does not seem like a very hospitable place. Uh, so, mm, yeah. No. What no. with the, uh, so we've got lobster folk, or at least not Although necessarily port, bad, but. Yeah, you know. Port Nine is lovely this time of year. <laughs> Even in the heat? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or are they below the equator? So is it. Uh, they're below the, uh, I think they're below the equator. Yeah. All right. So they're just, they're just getting out of the, the yeah. doldrums of, uh, of it right now. Uh, interesting. All right, great. Well, cool. A lot of stuff to delve into, and I'm hoping when people get uh, Tomb of Annihilation, they'll uh, uh, die by at least uh, four of the things. Die by throat leeches. Oh, God. What a way to go. That's the most disturbing one. Oh, God. I hope yeah. there's no throat leeches in here. Yeah. Ah, All right, Chris, uh, if people want to ask you more about what's going on in Schultz, uh, how can they get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Sweet. And uh, you'll see Dice Camera Action Crew, perhaps in Schultz, uh, in a few months. Yes. Uh, the Season 3 will kick off with the launch of uh, the, the worldwide launch of Tomb of Annihilation on September 19th. Sweet. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that. Thank you, guys. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week with more segments. Because <laughs> we only have until 5 o'clock. Uh, yep. Because that's when <laughs> these teeth aren't going to clean themselves. That's right. You have a dentist appointment. Is it at five o'clock right now? So are you going to like? Are we going to do it on camera? Mm-hmm. I'm invited <laughs> my dentist here. He's a huge dentist. <laughs> I, I didn't realize James was a was a dentist too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've got so many he jobs. Has, you do have a very interesting backstory though. That is true. Yeah, I wrote it out carefully. My DM left. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we have James Wyatt uh, here. When did you uh, – let's get right into your backstory. When did you start playing Dungeons & Dragons? 1979. Whoa. Yeah, before some of my coworkers were born. I know. I had at least a year. I was, I was around yeah. for a year. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> I, was, I was here too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, was, right. yeah, I was not quite 11, uh, and I got the, the original – basic set. Nice. Who gave it to you? I bought it, actually. A friend of mine and I went in together on it. So you had heard about this thing? Well, okay, so you want to know the story of how I heard of it? Yeah. A year or two before that, I'm going to wallop the microphone because I talk with my hands. No worries. Um, (laughs) These guys are looking at me like, (laughs) they're all like, (laughs) (laughs) talk talk with your hands, but do it in this motion. Right. So, (laughs) as I was saying, (laughs) a year or two before that, um, my brother had gotten the the three-book box set as a Christmas present. Yeah. He had no interest at all, but I was a a diehard Lord of the Rings fan at Mm -hmm. the age of eight or nine. 
um, and I desperately wanted to figure out how this was a game, and I spent hours reading these books and <laughs> got no <laughs> And you said, one day, I'm going to write these books. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm going to make them I'm clear. figure it out. <laughs> um, so, you so, know, did you actually, when did you start playing? When did it, when did it grok so, you? So, I grokked it when we got the basic set uh, okay. a couple years later, so 1979. Um, that was the, the very first basic set that came with B1, In Search of the Unknown, so... That was the blue box? Um... Was it blue? It had a colorful red dragon on the front. Okay. Uh, the but the book inside was a blue grayscale, a blue scale. Yeah, I think it was blue because that's the one that I remember. Because my <laughs> brother uh, was born in 1969, so he's kind of was like yep. that era of of getting stuff. Yep. Um, I figured out recently that Mark Rosewater and I started with the same edition of D and D. Oh, neat! That's around cool. the same time. Uh, lead designer of Magic. Yes. For those of you who don't know, um, that guy. That guy. <laughs> Uh, so then, did you continue playing? Did you yep, form a group? Never stopped. Never stopped. Where um, was it? Where Where would you grow up? I grew up in Ithaca, New York. Woo! I didn't even know that was a connection. Oh yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. I would. So There's a lot of connections. I, 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 I was born in Syracuse. Oh, all right. Yeah, you were in Rochester, right? Binghamton. Binghamton. Well, is, was, was that where the hospital was in Binghamton? It's not even close. Oh. No. I'm just wrong. Oh, I'm man. wrong on many levels. <laughs> uh, upstate New York is very big. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I spent a, su- a summer in Ithaca uh, oh, yeah. uh, at the Hangar Theater. I was a uh, uh, carpenter there. He's for also got a theater awesome. background. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't do much in Ithaca, though. Yeah. There's that, and there's you know Ithaca College, and then uh, uh, the Cornell Theater there, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. All right, cool. So that's when you learned, uh, and did you form a group? So, yeah, the friend that I bought it with, uh, the two of us played a lot, but we, we kind of... Drew people in and out over the course of years. After that, um, I I really never stopped playing. Uh, junior high, we you know played top secret and we pretended to play Boot Hill. I think we made characters and never got much further than that. And Gamma World and Rune Quest and a variety of other things. But D and D was the anchor in all of that. And is that due to your love of fantasy? Like you know the other genres you yeah. played around, but like fantasy was your core. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about uh, uh, Lord of the Rings that that, that spoke to you? I don't know. I mean, I read it when I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was, in fact, the same friend that I bought uh, the basic set with. I think we had sort of a competition going on to get through this series of books. But <laughs> That'll um, help. That was also the era when the Rankin-Bass Hobbit was on TV, <sighs> and then shortly after that, the animated Lord of the Rings movie came out. Ralph so, Bakshi. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was hooked from that point. The Rankin-Bass is, I think, I don't know if they get enough credit, but it... <laughs> catapulted so many of the people that I know's careers into fantasy. Long before I tried to make sense of that box set, uh, I was out in my backyard pretending to be one of the blue wizards. Nice. You know. The one that they don't know what happened to them. They went right. out into the, into right. the east. No, I mean, like, we, we I had a, a songbook or something from The Hobbit, and I traced the picture of Gandalf from that and colored it blue. That was me. That's oh. <laughs> <I'm> so <laughs> That is very so and no, we we took the the three book three uh, book box set of D and D and pulled monsters out of that, yeah. not knowing anything else. But you know there was a Balrog in there. We pulled monsters out and and imagined ourselves fighting them in the backyard as we ran around. Oh my That's god, I love amazing. that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm, I, I try to do that now. Like I cut down some trees in my backyard, uh, and I left sticks. pretending they're ants. No, no, it was <laughs> mostly ants? it was for actual just real like foliage oh, okay. trimming purposes. <laughs> but they had these awesome sticks, and I like just left them there, and I wanted my kids to find them and start playing with them and then immediately did they? they did yes they did yeah awesome. and so yeah my littlest had like a smaller stick and my oldest got the bigger stick and they're you know they were running around and doing some stuff with it so I'm like nice 
I like seeding it with uh, you know, okay. And what, I, what I, did your wife say when she saw her girls running around with sharp sticks in the backyard? I, I've neglected to tell her that I did that on purpose. So <laughs> oh. luckily she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, so we're, we're safe. All right. Nice. Uh, so I think, I know, again, that rank and bats, and actually Joe Manganiello mentions it in our, uh, the, stop, the top of the stream of annihilation about how that was his, oh, like, yeah. you know, way to get in through yep. fantasy as awesome. well. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, really a touchstone. Um, and then what, how did you then transfer into more professionally thinking about Dungeons & Dragons RPGs? It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> we have 45 uh, minutes. A roundabout <laughs> story. So um, let's see. I... I, I credit Dungeons and Dragons also with my interest in religion. Um, when I, I would like, I wrote a terrible, terrible paper in tenth grade in high school uh, about um, for like English class using deities and demigods as my primary source of information about world mythologies. Nice, like a, like a C on that paper, which I think was generous. <laughs> um, we'll be publishing that paper on, on no, magic. Uh, it does not exist anymore. <laughs> um, so I went to college and did a religion major, um, starting off with a broad interest in world religion. Uh, then I went to seminary and, and became ordained as a United Methodist minister, and I found that I hated that quite a bit. Why did you hate it? Uh, you know, so this is a part of my life story that I'm still tri- trying to figure out how to write. Oh, uh, okay. It's, I've, I've written many different versions of that mentally or, or in talking to people, explaining why that was, and I... Not sure I've hit on a satisfying answer yet. Okay, um, that makes sense. Suffice, suffice to say that it was something you wanted to move on from. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. It was a challenging experience, and you know, I was twenty-five. Yeah, uh, you're not really like grown up yet no, when you're twenty-five. No, and trying to deal with the the life situations of ninety-year-old. I'm just people. impressed that you had a job when you were twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight from grad school into my job. Yeah. Wow. Kind of unusual. <laughs> of asking for money uh, from a pulpit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that sorry, was that's hardly sorry. ever part of my job. That was my Catholic upbringing. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I did find that as the work kind of drained my energy, that what replenished it was working on D&D stuff. Um, started off as a, a couple of friends of mine were driving up from North Carolina to southeastern Ohio where we were, and I was preparing a D&D adventure for them. Uh, actually, a Mask of the Red Death adventure, uh, second edition Ravenloft expansion that took place in 1890s real world. Nice. Uh, so I set it in the rural parts of West Virginia that they were driving through. Oh, cool. And that actually became my second published adventure in Dungeon Oh, no way. Yeah. Falls Run, it was called. That's uh, neat. I mean, we lived... We lived in brilliant Ohio. My second church was in Rush Run, which is basically um, you have these villages along the Ohio River mm-hmm. where uh, the tributaries, tiny little creeks, flow into the river, and the villages are built up along that creek bed and were uh, mining towns originally. So that's that's where this adventure takes place. Sounds Please. like a perfect place for an adventure. Yeah, it was it was creepy. Yeah, like there it. is something to that about the the Midwest. Maybe you can speak to a little bit, but like. You know, the there was a there was a lot of there in the landscape itself that made uh, Dungeons and Dragons flourish. You know, it's like in the Wisconsin yeah. kind of place. There was these dotted farms that would be abandoned, and then you know, there was were the dungeons that that was in the local imagination of Gygax and his crew as they were making it. it it's certainly true that uh, the things that we associate with 
the core world of D and D are are as much kind of Western as they are European, mm. um, like Old West. Yeah, towns with their general stores and crossroads where you have duels and the I don't know. Right, the tavern was the the, <laughs> yes. the, the center of town the saloon, because exactly. that's where people would go. Right, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. So what? Uh, what, what? What era was it? What, not era. Eighties, <laughs> nineties. Uh, <laughs> is that when? The, I guess this would be nineties. Yeah. So let's see. My first article came out in ninety-seven. Okay. It was the December nineteen ninety-six issue of Dragon Magazine, which came out in January because that was the last issue of Dragon Magazine that TSR published. Oh. Okay. Uh, before it was purchased by Wizards of the Coast. Um, and I got it the day that my daughter was born. Oh. I got my copy of that magazine. <laughs> And which were you more excited about? <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say my daughter on that one. Okay, but it was good. a pretty good day all around. Any, any other day, it would <laughs> yeah. be like, you know, the magazine article. But that's awesome. Yeah. But so that was pa- the reason I asked when it was. It was uh, uh, because it was like kind of past the satanic panic kind of era yeah. of, of D&D. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, like as being in both worlds there. Um. It, because people always ask, they're always like, "Oh, you know, like, how do I get past that with my older generations?" I mean, now people are always, you know, uh, uh, way more open about it than they were. Yeah. Um, so I, I was pretty closeted when I was a, a pastor in Ohio, and that's really? partly just my own decision that it wasn't something I really wanted to talk about. Yeah. I do have a funny story though, which um, we would go to a nearby, not so nearby Walden Books as mm-hmm. our our shopping and where I would buy D and D stuff, and. Uh, one day I went and bought some D&D stuff and I paid with a check. And my wife and I were both ministers. Our check said Reverend James Wyatt. Nice. Um, and the cashier said, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. My grandmother or aunt or something was just saying to me, oh, you'll never see a pastor buying this stuff. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so and so here picture? I was. So I, I believe Skip Williams told me at one point that he got a letter from a Walden Books clerk in Ohio saying, oh, my gosh, look at this. I got this check. So we believe there, that was actually me. Oh, <laughs> my God. This guy was referring Weird. to, yeah, yeah, as, as proof that you can't have it both ways. Yeah. But uh, basically, fundamentally, I, I don't come from or have the kind of religious background that is going to make me raise an eyebrow at fantasy. Obviously, I grew up reading Tolkien. Right. Um, so it's hard for me to get inside that particular mindset. Right. Um, and I, I don't really have a lot of advice for people who are struggling with that sort of conflict. It's hard for me to, to navigate between those worlds. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's a thing. I think a lot of people uh, don't even realize now when they talk about it that, like, you know, that it was something that was looked down upon not just by, you know, uh, uh, you know the stereotype of a, of, a, of a kid playing Dungeons and Dragons, but, like, yeah, we had to navigate all that, and it was it was tough. Yeah. But at the same time, now it's like, oh, all right, there's so many other things, and and I think the streaming and actually people, having people mm-hmm. watch it and see it happen. I mean, so much of this stuff, even in you know things like Jack Chick's uh, uh, tract, <laughs> were so uh, uh, they just were inaccurate as right. to how right. Dungeons and Dragons was played. And I think a lot of what people were upset about were things that were made up. Like that's not even what is in the game. Right. You know, so let alone going down into sewers and yeah, right. exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so you got that first article published. Uh, then, then what happened? So, um, by the time my first article actually came out, I had left ministry. I was living in Wisconsin and writing, uh, doing technical writing, actually mm-hmm. writing documentation for medical record software, which 
now I go to a doctor that uses that software. It's pretty amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, I wrote the book on that piece of software. <laughs> I wrote the first online help system. And they're like, I hate this software. No. <laughs> um, right. It has changed a lot God. since then. Now I want to ask you so many questions. <laughs> I know. He just keeps opening doors and opening doors. Exactly. I want to go in there. That's what a good dungeon master does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I worked as a technical writer for a while. I ended up uh, following my wife to a PhD program in California. Um, she went to the PhD program. I did various writing and web design and multimedia stuff. Um, and through all of that, I was freelancing writing for the magazines. Um, Dungeon and Dragon magazines. And it got to the point where I was reg- writing very regularly. I had stuff coming out in almost every issue of Dragon, mm-hmm. sometimes more than one article per issue. <laughs> so um, by the time a, a job on the design te- team came open in 2000, or 99, I guess, um, I was ready to apply and had good recommendations from inside the building as well as a body of work to say, look, this is what I do. Nice. Yeah. And in some ways, that's kind of how the Dungeon Masters Guild works now at this point. Yeah. Like, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, the the magazines are no longer published yeah. in that way. I mean, we've kind of gone into the 21st century as far as publishing of of, of, of articles and stuff that would have, would have appeared in those magazines on the DMs Guild. And right. And people, that's how you do it. You get the, yep. the recommendation, then it goes on. Up. Yep. I mean, for a while, I was like the poster child of this is how you get a job working on Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> right. You write for the magazines, and then an opening comes up and you get hired. Nice. It's a little different now, but it's the same principle. Sweet. Um, so then, yeah, right, you were on the team uh, up until 4th edition? Uh, or, I was uh, on during... the team until 2014. Uh, yeah. Middle of 2014. So I, I was a writer for the Player's Handbook and DMG for 5th edition, as well as a lead designer for 4th edition and author of a whole lot of third edition books. Nice. And novels, right? And novels. And five novels. novels. Wow. I know he's very prolific. Mm. You know what and else? And one poem. A poem? <laughs> yes. Which he will perform for us right now. A spoken yeah. word. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the the little prophecy that appears in the front of the six books in the Sundering series. Oh, okay. That was oh, you. I didn't know right. that. I actually know that poem. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And also, James, you were, I think, the first... DM for the Acquisitions Inc. podcast. I was one B. Uh, oh, the the first day, I think Chris Perkins took the morning and I took the afternoon. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I did those not little... do a good job. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, I, did. I listened to those. I you did you do did. a good job. I, I was not invited back. <laughs> I think Maybe it more had to do with a, a rapport thing. Yes, that is probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Did you kill all their characters? No. Oh. We probably should. No. That's what you should have no. done. <laughs> yeah. Looking that would have remembered me. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> have a memorable, dramatic moment. <laughs> God damn it. Who would have thought, though, back then? It was just like this little audio podcast yeah. thing, and now... It's a phenomenon. Look what we're doing now. Right. I remember when that happened. I was, I was a fan and being like, oh, I can't wait to hear uh, how these people play Dungeons & Dragons. Didn't even think it was a thing. So, what was it like from from your end, being like, "Oh, here are some people who play." <laughs> Did you? Was there a lot of prep time, or was there just kind of like, Probably "Hey, go not play"? As much as there should have been. <laughs> <laughs> there never is as much as there should be. <laughs> that is true. Um, no, it was just kind of a a lark. It was fun. Uh, we went and ran part of uh, H1, H yes H1, the Keep on the Shadowfell mm-hmm. adventure, the first fourth edition adventure. Um, so it was kind of 
teaching the game as we went and letting funny people be funny. And unfortunately, I think I tried to be too funny as well, which was a mistake. <laughs> that, that's what it was. We're like, oh, he's trying to be too funny. Get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> funnier than we, you were funnier than they were. Yeah. That's what it was. You were up, upstaging them. That's what Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. No way. All right. So and then uh, uh, so after 2014, you started working on the Magic Team. Yes. How that was sad. It was sad. For Not for us. me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. I know he was always so happy when I saw him in the kitchen. He's like, I love my job. I love it. <laughs> Go. Okay. It, it was time. Yeah. yeah. Fourteen years is a long time to be on one team working on one product. Yep. Shelly's <laughs> <laughs> done a lot of different I things. Been, I have not worked on one years. product for. It's true. For fourteen years. That's I keep, true. I move around a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, what was that transition like to working on Magic? Were you definitely were they going for a more world building kind of idea? Is that why? So, you fit um, in? part of what it is is we my transition happened at the same time as Magic launched this project to do these art books, the yeah. Art of Magic: The Gathering series. Um, it was a new thing that Adam Colby on the brand team was really pushing for for a long time, and apparently, my coming onto the team was the thing that was needed to make it happen. Because it turns out I've got some experience writing this kind of book, you might say. Um, it's funny because these these art books are by far the heaviest books I've ever worked on. <laughs> they are very heavy. They're like t- 10 by 10 inches, maybe bigger. Yeah. Anyway, they're 240 pages and just really heavy, thick paper. Um, they are not by any means the longest books I've ever worked on. <laughs> it's, it's really funny because they're... They seem big and hefty, and there may be 50,000 words, which in D&D terms is, I don't know, 64 pages? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, of a D&D book text. Maybe more with the, the kind Bigger of more font. open format that we've got in current books, Fun. but yeah. Bigger font. Harking <laughs> back to your... Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right in a paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so the Art of Magic books are really interesting because uh, obviously one of the, the draws of Magic cards are the art. Right. Or the, the, the amount of uh, detail that's all put into them. And so was Adam Colby's idea was, like, let's present it in a way that was uh, all in one place. Um, yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I tie that back. Uh, anyway, it's a callback. <laughs> it's a callback. <laughs> um, it, it's two things. One, it's we do all this art that's glorious and magnificent and, like, this big, really two inches Right, for the, for the card format. Right. right. Um, so, you know, <laughs> there are cards, in fact, that I never knew actually what that art was showing until I got to see it blown up. Mm. So the art book presents that art often in a much bigger format and lets you really see all its glory. Mm. But also the Magic World Building team does a huge amount of work for each card set block, uh, block of multiple sets, um, building a world that becomes the setting for that card set. So um, we, we put out a world guide for internal use um, that includes concept art about these worlds and then the world details that we write um, primarily for use by the creative text writers and the story writers to flesh out the details of this world and name the cards and put flavor text on the cards. So the big part of Adam's idea was we do all this work, let's get it out where the public can see it. Yeah. Um, That's sort of what the final product is. It's kind of a, a mashup of... Um, the text that we put in those world guides with the finished art that goes on cards rather than the concept art that's in the world guides. Um, for the most part, we've, I've slowly been working in a little bit more concept art because people like to see it. Yeah, but, that is true. Yeah. The but Zendikar I, one was the first one that came out, right? Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people loved that that felt like uh, uh, like one of the, a campaign setting book that yeah. D&D would, would produce. 
that that was pretty much my not so hidden agenda. <laughs> I mean, my background being what it is, that's the mindset that I approached it with. Um, I mean, I built off of the world guide that existed, um, but I wrote it. I mean, I was thinking of adventure hooks as I went along and presenting information in the same way that we would in a D&D book. Yeah. And then Plane Shift really just was a natural outgrowth of that. Um, now, did you pitch that, or, or, or where did Plane Shift come about? That was also the result of a number of conversations with different people. Um, I, I still talk a lot with Jeremy Crawford, um, who is a good friend, and we have lunch a lot, and he, he and I have a strangely similar backstory. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, he also has the same like religious background. Um, so he and I talked about it. I talked about it, about it with Jeremy Jarvis on the magic. He's um, he's the IP creative shoot. <laughs> Something or other. He's got some fancy dancy title. <laughs> the, the, the fancy dancy title has changed, right? Yes, yeah. recently. Recently. So, that's um, so he, I think, was one of the first people to mention to me this idea that we might do a web supplement that was D&D Rules add-on for this. And um, Adam Colby was also really excited about it. And it's the sort of thing where people have talked about the D&D magic crossover for years, mm-hmm. and there have been various projects that have surfaced in the long time that Shelly and I have been here. I um, remember when it was like, shh, yes. don't talk to them. Yes. <laughs> they <laughs> don't exist. At one point. Really? Hmm? It was just weird. Like there was, but it seemed like there was definitely some, like, eh, yeah. don't cross over. There was, has been a lot of resistance historically to crossing the streams. At one point early on in my time on D&D, there was discussion of doing a, a Dominaria monster book. I probably shouldn't even say this, but anyway, I just <laughs> did. So <laughs> It's okay. It's not live or anything. It's, we'll just yeah. go ahead. All right. <laughs> Shut it down. Well, I will ask for <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> like Shelley said, there's there's been kind of a lot of resistance to it, and Adam and I went around to pitch the idea, and we couldn't find anyone to say no. <laughs> so, so I didn't even ask me. Well, you know what's funny? And I always say no. I, well, you were just the no person. You yeah. were just like, all right, well, we, need, we need a no, so we'll take that to the rest of the team. But <laughs> it's funny, though, because, as, I mean, I, you guys have been here much longer than I have, and I, for some reason, that idea that the you know magic and D&D shouldn't cross or cross-pollinate had filtered into the fandom somehow so that even the fandom knew that that was like this policy. So when the first plane shift came out, people went crazy. Yeah. Because they're like, what? I can't believe it. It's, that's not what they, how they do things. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that drew a lot of uh, excitement and, pop, you know, and, and, and the popularity of the, the downloads have, has been way more than anybody uh, uh, expected, yeah. I think. Did you expect that? <laughs> I did not. In fact, I was working on plane shift on the So... This is not the way we do things, really, in any way. Uh, this this project is is so totally a labor of love for me that I literally write these things sitting at home on the couch in front of the television because <laughs> it's not part of my scheduled work. Oh, really? Actually, I did not know that. <laughs> because oh, I want to do gee. it, and I don't have time to do it. If I went to my boss and said, can you make time for me to do this, she'd be like, when? <laughs> right. So, can you manufacture time for us? Right. I've... I mean, and seriously, I lay them out in InDesign. I'm not a, a book designer, but I do it because I want these things to happen. That's amazing. Um, I had I had no idea that this was yeah. this was. Shh, don't tell actually. Anybody. All right, no no one will know. No one will know about this. But this is all James. Yeah. Wow. So and there's there's people upstairs who uh, design the covers, and um, we you guys hire an editor to 
to make a pass over the text. So exactly, it's a, yeah. a little cleaner than what I turn over. Right. Uh, so for people who are listening, uh, I feel like I jumped over what exactly plane shift right. is. No, I did. Yeah. I jumped right over So, right. Uh, yeah, what, uh, what's your pitch? What's your elevator pitch? Okay, so we've been doing these gorgeous art books describing these worlds of magic. And like I said, I write them as if they were D&D campaign settings. So plane shift is a series of articles we've made available for free download on the Magic and Wizard, Magic and D&D websites uh, that are 32 to 40 pages long and just give you the rules material that you need to take these books and use them for the setting for a D&D campaign. Right, so, so you'd be playing Dungeons & Dragons, so you're playing 5th edition inside the Magic universe. Right. As another part of the of the multiverse of, right. of our all existence. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a philosophical issue in my head about how, about what a rule system is and what it means. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Rather than trying to explain what it's about, let me just say this. Um, I, I think of the rules as an inter- interface. And the D&D rules and the magic rules are two very, very different interfaces to the fantasy world that underlies them mm-hmm. both. So... I'm not making any effort to make the D&D rules, to change the D&D rules to fit the magic rules. Yeah. Um, I'm making at best kind of nods or look, magic has colors <laughs> without representing those in D&D rules in any way. So I'm just giving you straight D&D rules for the races of these worlds. Um, basically, uh, skin, reskinning monsters to match the monsters that you see on cards in magic. Yeah. Um, pretty minor stuff that, that anybody could do sitting at home on the couch in front of the television. But I have access to all this art and text that I'm pulling from the art books. So, yeah, Don't don't sell yourself short, man. I don't think anybody could. I think you're the perfect yep. person to do it because you come from your entire background, which we just went through in the beginning part that's of this true. interview. You know, like, I think that's a big part of it. And I think uh, uh, people lash onto it, and I, I, I love them. I think they're a really cool nice. way to... As you say, interface with this this IP that Magic has, that the the I mean, I I love playing Magic too, but it, to me, it feels very much like a, a chess or a a very strategic game. And right. I, I, the flavor is there, and I like I do read the flavor text and everything, but I don't really feel like I'm in that world. It's not immersive in the same way. Right. You don't identify with the cards that you're playing usually to the same. Yeah. Extent. Or even I mean, even you know, back when Magic started, there was the idea that you are the planeswalker and, and, and doing that. But even that is a little bit removed for me, you know, twenty five years later where I'm like, oh I'm just I'm playing cards because I have so many different decks, you know, but when you're a kid, you can be like, I am I only play white red and there's a reason why and and you have all that. And I think what your uh, 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 work does, it makes it feel like, oh, we could be a, a cooperative game. So it makes, you know, if you, you can interface with the magic thing in a way that doesn't feel quite so competitive, uh, while also um, really letting people explore the amazing work that goes into the IP yeah. of magic, um, which doesn't get surfaced as much. Yeah. yeah, that is pretty fun. It's cool stuff. Thanks. Um, what can you tell us about uh, Amaket specifically that uh, uh, might be of interest to, to D&D listeners? <laughs> so thing- this it's funny because, and I laugh, that's why I'm laughing. It's it's <laughs> <laughs> We're Jake, laughing why? because it's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Just like I'm just hilarious. He's a human being. <laughs> he laughs when things are funny. He's not a construct of any kind. <laughs> no. He's been properly programmed. <laughs> so Zendikar <laughs> was the first one of these that I did. And Zendikar was basically Magic Does D&D World, 
right? It was it was pitched and concepted and designed around as Adventure World for mm-hmm. Magic, and so it was such a natural fit. So I, I ran a D&D campaign for members of my team for a while, set in Zendikar. Um, Innistrad was the next one, and it was also pretty natural. In fact, the release, coincidentally, uh, matched up with Curse, Curse of, Strahd of Strahd very yes. nicely. And so How I, is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> M- probably because of I'm pointing at you like it's your fault, but like yeah, uh, probably because of like that idea, like oh, you know, the never the twain shall meet, like these two teams. But then all of a sudden somebody, we've been aligned. Somebody's secretly so meeting in the middle of the night. Yeah, I believe handing information back and forth to I this. Can you, nor you've denied. got Strahd. <laughs> what you've about got Strahd. get this in a in Strahd? Strahd. <laughs> oh, then they'll never catch on. <laughs> uh, but right, it was a vampire, right. you know, uh, dark gothic setting, and that seemed to make a lot of sense with everything that was going on there. But then, so then Kaladesh was next, and that w- I started to stray a little farther from what D and D expectations are with this world of of technological innovation, all magic driven still. And I ended up taking the rules for D and D magic items and just going woo, <laughs> 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 and and playing around with that a lot. Amonkhet gets still further away. Um, in some ways, it's sort of similar to Dark Sun from D&D's that's history. I would, Kaladesh always reminds me of Dark Sun for some reason. So oh, I that's weird. I know. <laughs> but when we went to like that uh, at PAX West yeah. and they had the, that bazaar, Yeah. I don't know why I felt like it reminded me of Dark Sun. Okay. I don't know why. I accept that. No, you don't. <laughs> A lot but of people anyway. have made the comparison to Eberron because of that um, invention idea right. as well. But anyway... Um, Amonkhet is a desert world, um, Egypt-inspired, and uh, it revolves around this idea of going through five trials to prove yourself worthy to enter the afterlife, Um, which we are learning now with the release of Hour of Devastation is not such a happy thing, after all, but I didn't really touch on that in Plane Shift at all. Um, Yeah, basically, you're going to earn a glorified place as a mummy in the army of Nicol Bolas, because that's awesome. He likes to devastate. Yeah. He's just... Devastating. <laughs> for, for Devastatingly hour. handsome. Hey, <laughs> Mr. Bolas. Mr. Yes. Bolas. <laughs> uh, if I had a nickel for <laughs> Bolas out there. <laughs> wow, okay. You can use that in the next. I, I don't think I will, but uh, thank you. <laughs> it's a freebie. Yeah, this flavor text right there. We're yeah. getting it. If I had a nickel. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the I, well, there's do, there's domains in this uh, in, uh, yeah. in Plainship of Amonkhet, which I thought was interesting. So a big part of the the world of Amonkhet is the five gods who are there, uh, who are very closely involved with the lives of the people who are training to go through their trials. They, each god sponsors a trial. So Oketra is the goddess of solidarity, and she sponsors the trial of solidarity. So um, I decided. I guess option one was map the, the player's handbook domains to these gods, and, and that's really simple. Option two was, tell you what, I'll give you five domains, one for each god, and you know what? One of them is knowledge, so that's right out of the player's handbook. It's super easy. <laughs> so I only had to come up with four. Um, but that, I thought that was an interesting way to do, uh, like kind of get done, because uh, the domains that are currently in 5th edition uh, are awesome, but there's a finite amount of them. Yes. And I thought the idea of adding to that library was fantastic and it made very much sense for a deity-centric part of the, the magic universe. Yeah. Uh, it, I like it because not only are the gods central, but those five ideals that they represent are central. And I yeah. think that really reinforces that. The domains themselves really are largely a mashup of, of elements pulled from existing ones with some fine-tuning. 
And my daughter actually helped me do that fine tuning. Oh, no <laughs> oh, way. Cool. <laughs> She's credited. This is her first D&D print credit. No oh, way. That's Not awesome. print, but yeah. That's a, from from the one that was born in 1997. Yeah. When you first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's come full circle. It has. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Twenty years later. Which one are you more, more proud of? Plagiarism. I'm a kid. Or that she has a credit. More, she, which one is she more proud of? <laughs> yeah. Which one is she more proud of? That's probably the better question. I could not possibly be more proud of my daughter. Oh, she's awesome. That's awesome. I. That, she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> Are you watching right now? Uh, fantastic. Well, that's a reason to go download it uh, in any case, just to be Seriously. like, oh, yeah, you get to see some some of the, the, the Wyatt genes uh, be passed on. <laughs> Is she right. going to follow in your footsteps? Does she want she sure to, would love to work in the gaming industry? Yeah. Is she a writer? She's uh, a writer, but primarily an artist. She draws all, all the time. Oh. Yep. Definitely. Use her skills. Yep. Sweet. Get her in while you can. <laughs> before she goes off and does something else. <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot to learn still before she's ready to, to be a D&D or magic artist. But well, there's that. She's got the potential, Sweet. I think. Uh, well, that's really exciting. I like, uh, uh, I, yeah, I like that you've been putting in these extra hours. I had no idea <laughs> no, until this interview that this was extra time. You like, took up an hour of your valuable time. It's all good. Yeah. So you are most recently at uh, uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I was there. Oh, How was yeah. that? It was fun. Yeah, I uh, I was signing plain, uh, the art of Amonkhet mostly. Um, it's the usual kind of funny mix at a signing at SDCC between people who know who I am and are really excited, or at least know what magic is and are really excited, as opposed to the people who are going around the exhibit hall saying, "What can I get for free?" <laughs> and, yeah. and and if I have to wait in line for a signed autograph to do it, all right, fine. Right. Yeah. You know, at least I'm waiting in line for a free autograph. Yeah. We uh, had these poster card things, combinations, souvenir, and advertisement on the backside for the art books. So uh, Tyler Jacobson was there with me. Oh, signing. nice. Tyler's a good guy. Yep. Uh, so I signed in the Viz Media booth because Viz is the publisher of the art books. Right. Um, twice, and I signed in the Hasbro booth once, and otherwise I enjoyed SDCC. Nice. It's pretty funny. The second day uh, signing in the Viz booth, I was wearing my Dungeons & Dragons shirt, and one guy said, oh, do you play a lot of D&D? <laughs> Did you slow play it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> played, played a few games. No, I think I said, yes! I work at D&D! Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> I was just thinking that, too. Did you flick your hair? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps now you know. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, that's cool. I really, it was really great uh, having you on and t- getting to tell your story. Uh, I, I, we t- talked about it right before we went on live here that uh, uh, we were at the Escapist uh, Expo. That's what it was called that's back right. in 2012. Uh, James White was nice enough to come down Aww. to Durham, North Carolina, at my invitation. You didn't come. I was not invited. I, well, I, invi- I, t- I talked to somebody in the. You door. talked to me. It was Toby. You probably, I remember, yes. I was trying to get you as well. Trying to get, don't don't try to. James was the only one who was like, oh, I'll go to North Carolina. Because you had friends there, right? It was the same friends that you had coming up from North Carolina? Or there was... No, oh, I thought there was like some family not North Carolina. traveling thing going on. He genuinely wanted to go. He wanted to go to the Duke Divinity School, really. <laughs> I applied there, actually. <laughs> I got in there, but I didn't go there. We actually, the, the headmistress actually lived next to me. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and it, she was uh, notable because she was the first black female dean at Duke ever. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Of, you know, 2012, 2011. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time dean name. of a school of the, uh, there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? What's her name? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember her name. 
Anyway, gotta, yeah, the Escape is Expo was tons of fun. I ran D&D demos for like nine hours a day. Wow. Just straight. We had you working hard. I was just sit. That's why I didn't go. Yeah. It was totally awesome. That was when I... Do we have any more time for me to talk? Because I can just... Yeah, sure. Okay. we got a couple so, more. Um, the, the adventure that I brought to demo was a mashup of classic first edition adventures. I had mushed the village of Hamlet and uh, the sinister secret of Saltmarsh and the cult of the reptile god and evil tide from second edition and um, one other. <laughs> one other adventure that you all remember. Uh, Ravenloft. No, no. Okay. Oh, the keep on the borderlands. I mashed them all up together, oh, okay. and basically, uh, the uh, the border village of Orlane was, <laughs> Hamlane something anyway. Yeah, was this this central nexus where I'd combined because actually the village of Hamlet and the village of Orlane from N one are almost identical, so I mashed them up and that was the center and sent people off. So different groups. Uh, I was just running throughout the day. Different groups went off to different adventure locations, but yeah. I, I kept it more or less continuous uh, w- with the effects of one group affecting what, what happened to the next group. And it was crazy. And I remember people being super excited that you were there, and then uh, I, I, I was part of the organizer of getting everybody to go, and people came up to me afterwards and be like, oh my god, that was so great that we were able to play with someone who actually works on Dungeons and & Dragons, and it was James Wyatt, and he had all these things, and he did all these, and that's all I heard about how awesome that one room was. Uh, that's cool. You know, we had like four, five or six tables in there, but your table was full the entire time, Yeah, I, I, I kept taking in more people than I should have. I, I ran groups of like ten. Oh. <laughs> it was fun. It was a good time. And you can do that in 5th edition without making your head explode too much. Too much. Too much. Just slightly exploded. Right. Um, but that was 2012, so that was like, was, was that like a, 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 Early a nascent version of 5th yeah. edition that nobody knew that you were actually playtesting? No, <laughs> or the, was that, it was during the, the live playtesting. It was during the playtesting, yeah. okay, yeah. I was there to demo the, the playtest. This all makes sense. Don't you remember it was no, your show? No, I don't. It was like another time ago. <laughs> it was a long was, time ago. <laughs> You've had many lifetimes, but they, yeah, every once in a while I'm like, God, yeah, I was there for five years. I did stuff down in North Carolina. Yeah. Crazy Durham. Yep. I think he just called me old. <laughs> no, I, I got that too. <laughs> oh, my God, five years. I was at the same place. Oh. <laughs> It's, Who would really, do it's really that? hard to be me, guys. I don't know if you know. Totally. <laughs> Look, it sounds like we only have a couple more years with you. So Yeah, because right, I've been here 400 years. Get so. tired and move on. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your extra time <laughs> to come talk to us. Uh, where can people find out about you, but also the stuff you're doing for Magic uh, going forward? Uh, I don't like know. On Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I'm Aquella James, A-Q-U-E-L-A James. Aquella uh, is the name of the campaign, D&D campaign world I made up in high school. Oh, so cute. I'm a total nerd. <laughs> um, it I have lives a, on. I have a bare bones site at Aquella.com. Yeah. Go check out plane, all the plane shifts that have come out for each of the art books. Uh, there's three now? There's four fi- now. Uh, four art books. Four plane shifts. The fifth art book for Ixalan is due out in January. Is that what you're working on right now? Uh, again, that ready? Or is that almost the, at the printer? The art book is at the printer. Okay. Plane shift Ixalan is kind of, you know, if it happens, is <laughs> kind of <laughs> germinating in the back of my brain. Nice. I make no promises. All certainly right. no announcements. So I like that you're going to Chult. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gonna be some uh, some dinosaurs. It's gonna be some dinosaurs. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be able to do the, quite the alignment that I did with Anstrad in terms of of syncing the adventure with the the site. No, you don't think so. They're uh, so similar. 
I don't think so. I mean, dinosaurs and jungle, yes. Yeah. Mm. I, don't know. I haven't seen the need? adventure in much detail, so I'll have to check that out. And see, All right. see if I can do anything with it. We might be able to tell you about it. I know some people. We know some people, know as people. you do. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, and uh, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up uh, right about now. Should we do some closing stuff? Do we have to do anything closing? Um, well, Ryan says yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, oh God, that was really great talking to James. Wasn't James such a I nice person? I wish he were person? still here. I know. I wish we could tell him this to his face. I know. We should have told him how much we enjoyed talking to him and taking Why time. Why are you being so <laughs> weird? <laughs> <laughs> this is how the podcast usually goes. This we, the, the guest, you know, because we call him in and then they leave. Yeah, we usually just hang like, up. Oh, this is bad. And then we do a little bit like ending announcement stuff. Uh, yeah. and maybe, then, maybe I should go. No, no, no. no. We want you here. No. Um, it's, so, just, it's just Greg showing all this D&D You should stuff. check out Plane Shift Amonkhet. <laughs> uh, it is at uh, both the Magic site and the D&D site. I don't know the exact URL, so like I said, you're just going to have to Google it. Plane Shift Amonkhet, which is spelled A-M-O-N-K-H-E-T. Is that right? Yes. Oh, phew. All right, ah. go. My notes were correct. Um, so yeah, it's on there. Uh, again, like both those websites, go check it out. Uh, Dragon Plus issue 14 is out now. It has an awesome adventure with, uh, the Rat Queen's writer, Curtis Weeb, uh, as well as a reworking of the Tomb of Horrors poem that features, uh, uh, you know, from Tomb of Horrors from, um, Rudy Wootenberg, uh, wrote it. Yeah, that's awesome. Did, did you know that? I heard that. You've heard that? I heard it recently. Uh, what do you have going on, Shelley? Do you have a game coming out? Just like, oh, some couple of board games coming out on October 6th. Do you know about my board game, James Wyatt? Which one? Betrayal yeah. at Baldur's <laughs> Gates. And also the Access and Alley's Anniversary Edition's coming back. It's coming back. Both games release on October does, 6th. Does that one have dragons? Can you do a plane we, shift, yeah. Access <laughs> and Allies? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Think about that. <laughs> it's good, <laughs> it's no. good to be firm. It's good. To, it's good to know where your wheelhouse is. Okay, so people ask me about this every time I release one, but for now, I, I'm only doing plane shifts that are connected to the art books. So that makes sense. If we're not doing an art book about a plane, I need to talk to Adam I'm Colby. Doing a plane Just shift. talk to Adam Colby. He'll make it. <laughs> It's not even his job anymore. It's not his job anymore. I'll talk to Matt Danner. Uh, so there'll be dinosaurs <laughs> in uh, Axis and Allies Anniversary <laughs> Edition. James won't you be can working on it. replace your battleship. But someone will. Uh, October 6th, you said? October 6th. And it's $950? <laughs> on eBay, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's $100. $100 that for all it. that plastic. And it's over 650 components. And it's that box weighs like 11 pounds. It's, it is a value. It's a value. For hours and hours and hours of entertainment. I'm playing in a game right now yes, here in the uh, third floor uh, here uh, in the Wizards thing. Uh, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms is also a game that's coming out. It'll come out uh, uh, quarter three, we're thinking. It's from Codename Entertainment. They're really good at creating uh, these idol games in which you can send out your adventurers into uh, the Forgotten Realms. Some of their adventurers might be characters you recognize from the Forgotten Realms, including Minsk and Boo, as well as some from Force Grey, uh, which is on our Twitch channel right now. Season 2 is coming out. We have a whole episode about uh, that on Dragon Talk, which you should listen to very soon. Um, <laughs> but if you want to find out more about Idle Champions, it is at Idle Champions on Twitter, as well as IdleChampions.com. Um, it will be available on Steam, and I'm super excited about it uh, because I need something to do at work. You know, I'm just... I, I, I have tons of time. From, Unlike you, James. I know, totally. I, I like to make James feel bad, so I'm like, ah, no problem. This 
is what we can do. We can send out and get billions and gazillions of gold. I'm not kidding about their numbers. They go up super high. They're like budget. They make up numbers because you have so much uh, gold and XP that you can collect uh, in Idol Champions. So it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, did I mention Hascon at the top of this? Yeah. Yes. I think I did. Okay, James good. James is going to. See, all right. Happy good. birthday, Because he's going. That's right. Um, all right. Well, and then Two Move Annihilation is coming out on September 19th, very wide, and it'll be in game stores on September 8th. So if you're going to Hascon, you'll be able to get an adventure and get into it, and uh, uh, you'll love it very much. Um, if you need to find out more about Dungeons and Dragons, you can go to DungeonsandDragons.com. Follow time. them on Twitter, them, us, <laughs> it, on Twitter, wi- at wizards underscore dnd. And if you want to find out and get more previews of the Tomb of Annihilation storyline, uh, you can watch us record these things live on twitch.tv slash dnd. Uh, and there's tons of other streaming shows going on, uh, including our friends at Misclix, Maze Arcana, uh, High Rollers, Uncharted Territory, Dragon Friends, Girls Guts Glory, Acquisitions Incorporated, The Seed Team, and Force Grace Season 2. They're all going through some of the content, not even really the content, just kind of their own imaginings of what the Dungeons uh, & Dragons storyline would be like in Tomb of Annihilation. So you're not going to get too spoiled. It's a lot of fun. And uh, latch onto a, a party and just go at it. Watch all their episodes. It's tons of fun. All right, I think I'm done talking Aren't for now. Aren't you glad you stayed? Really glad. <laughs> you had at least four or five jokes in there in that spiel, right? I didn't get a chance to say go for the eyes, boo, though. Oh. oh. If you're, I, I was waiting for the opening. I, I talk too fast. It's my downfall. <laughs> That's why I'll never be on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shelly, where can they find out about you? How about Twitter? At Shelly Moo. Yes. And AvalonHill.com? Avalon too. Is there an AvalonHill.com? Like a website? Yeah, we have a website, AvalonHill.com. Exactly. Right. Yeah, go there. Yeah, go Pre- there. Pre-order your, your anniversary edition of Access and Allies now. Can't do it on that website. Shh. You know that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it was a passive-aggressive. <laughs> and maybe pre-order it. He knows this. He knows this. I like to make you say it, though. It's part of, it's part okay, of the thanks. shtick. <laughs> uh, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Um, I like to answer as many questions as you want, and you can feel free to watch me banter with Shelly Moon about how she doesn't bring lunch to meetings. <sighs> I think that's it. Lunch I think that's good. Die. Thank you guys so much for another episode of Dragon Talk. We will be out of here right about now. Now. Thanks, folks. Thanks.